Throughout history, Christians have created art, written books, and made music for worship, entertainment, and to express their faith in ever-increasing endeavors. And for the last six decades, they have created contemporary Christian music for the church and for the masses. Here at Legacy, we are counting down the finest works over these last decades. So join me, your host, David Lohman, as we celebrate CCM's greatest albums, right here on Legacy. Welcome back to Legacy. I am your host, David Lohman. And after a year off or so, the countdown is ready to return. We have got music from all over the world and music from the last several decades in the history of Christian music. We are going to be spanning the decades and traveling around the world to bring you the very best in the history of Christian music. So, hang on, and we will be right back as the countdown begins with number 921, right here on Legacy. Here at Legacy, we want to make it easy for you to find us. There are several different ways that you can talk to us and let us know what you think about what is going on here at the podcast and also on the blog. You can always go to our website at LegacyCCMsGreatestAlbums.com. That's LegacyCCMsGreatestAlbums.com or by email at LegacyCCMsGreatestAlbums at gmail.com. You can always find us on the Facebook and interact with us there at facebook.com slash Legacy CCM's Greatest Albums, at Instagram at Legacy CCM's Greatest Albums, and finally on Twitter at Legacy CCM's Best. Number 921. In the early 1990s, Brainstorm Artist International released Coyote Moon by the group Mercy River. Fronted by Greg Kellogg and Harold Wayne, this project really comes across as kind of a Terry Scott Taylor album as he wrote so many of the songs and has such a strong hand as a producer to make it sound a little similar to maybe some of the Daniel Amos music of years past. Imagining you, but with all the interruptions, it makes it hard to. 
the style of country ranges throughout this entire project from a little bit of southern rock, a little bit of Bakersfield country, a little bit of banjo-oriented southern gospel even at times. The whole album, though, is filled with incredible tracks. personal favorite is Elvis has left the building but Jesus is coming soon The album credits kind of read like a who's who of what was going on in Southern California at the time. With Randy Stonehill, Jerry Chamberlain, Ricky Michelle, Rob Watson, Joe Taylor, Gene Eugene, Mike Rowe. Really an incredible group of people. Rob Watson is on there. You really can't expect any more for what you are getting here with this incredible album. That is Mercy River and Coyote Moon. Number 920. In the mid-90s, Essential Records released two albums from the band Imagine This. This one, Love, their second album, was the better of the two and filled with great fusion-oriented funk rock soul that really kind of hit a groove.
Maybe other bands like Soul Food 76 would also come along and do something similar. The style is, as one uh, reviewer described, imagine galactic cowboys that was mellower and added a whole lot of funk. Great vocals, killer grooves, and amazing harmonies. Number 920, that is Imagine This and the album Love. Number 919. In the early 80s, Refuge Records was bringing a lot of artists from across the pond, from Sweden and from England, and like Jan Grote, from Norway. incredible bluesy-oriented voice of Jan was really pretty stellar on this album called Roots. He got his early start in the uh, late 60s, early 70s in a progressive rock band in Norway called Aunt Mary, but soon became a Christian and started making Christian music. Though the album kind of balances sometimes between the rock-oriented and blues-oriented music, along with some ballads, it's really when he rocks, or killer blues, that Jan makes his true mark.
919. That is Jan Grote and Roots. Number 918. As a founding member of the seminal Jesus music band Mustard Seed Faith, Louis McVeigh would go on to create two solo projects in the Christian music market. This will be the first we'll talk about Louis McVeigh and the Spirit of St. Louis. Many albums recorded for Maranatha Music in that time. You'll see a lot of the same names like Jonathan David Brown and, and Al Perkins appearing on the project. Great musicianship, really well-crafted pop music, and music that fit kind of what was going on between the church and mainstream musically. Looking forward to talking to Lewis in an upcoming episode of Legacy, so be on the lookout for an interview with Lewis McVeigh. Nobody cared to cut along 
We'll be discussing Lewis's second album sometime later in the countdown. But for now, this was Lewis McVeigh and number 918 with The Spirit of St. Louis. Number 917. Everybody drinks the water from the murky pool. Surely, as you think you well, you know your belly aches. Everybody learns religion at the blind man's school. Will you reach for heaven when the preacher jumps the snake? Is your faith so right? Are you so blessed? Everybody wanders in the forest Is your heart so true? Count the butts and bottles In the morning when we're gone Fools agree reality Back in the early 90s, when I was working for Frontline Records and Diamante Music, uh, Mike Knott went to Frontline with this idea of creating an uh, acoustic, unplugged album of alternative bands, most of which were from Southern California. Those couple of them were from uh, outside of the area. And each one of these artists brought together one incredible song. Some of those songs would later appear on those artists' albums, but all of them were original to this original recording. The album is called Browbeat and is one of the very few various artist albums in this countdown. The lineup reads like a who's who of the Christian alternative scene, especially that was taking place in Southern California. Uh, whether it was uh, artists like Mike Knott and LSU, Terry Scott Taylor and the Lost Dogs.
Aggressive bands like Dick Jesus and The Throws and even Mortal show up on this project. In fact, Mortal's song Bleeder remains a personal favorite some 30 years later. Cover Adam again, kind of round out the rest of the album, filled with artists that were part of either Frontline or Broken Records or the uh, Brainstorm Artist International label, come together with this incredible idea of creating alternative, unplugged music, making that music available to a much larger audience. It missed a decision. Make up my mind for me You're like a religion I could be caged or free I might be lost at sea Mr. Judgmental Show me the way to be Show me the way to go I could become defendum and I wish I could become defendum and at number 917 that is browbeat Number 916. Every man is not a king. Cry, cry, sing, sing. I've heard this before. We fight and go on. Stop. 
I first heard the Plimsoll sometime in the late 70s or early 80s on KROQ in Los Angeles, and I thought for sure that the song A Million Miles Away was a mega hit that everyone in the country knew, not realizing that it never actually made the top 80, and that it was primarily a Southern California or at least a West Coast phenomenon for the band The Plimsolls and their leader, Peter Case. Peter would later marry Victoria Williams, who we'll talk about later in this countdown, and would also be uh, very good friends with uh, Sam Phillips and T-Bone Burnett. And this first album, his solo project, uh, self-titled, was produced by T-Bone Burnett and Mitchell Froome. At the time of its release, this album uh, garnered quite a bit of uh, following in certain Christian music circles. It is an asterisk project, and it is what we call Christian music adjacent. But a lot of people embrace the album for its incredible content, amazing music, and its connection with T-Bone Burnett. CCM Magazine, Harvest Rock Syndicate, and a whole bunch of others would uh, laud this album as the album of the year. I agree. I think it's one of the greatest projects for its time. Very unique, very different for uh, someone coming from the band like the Plimsolls to do this kind of acoustic folk rock really was different, but it really nailed it straight on. Great album.
When I worked at Maranatha Village, I think we carried probably three of Peter's albums before I had uh, left to go work for the Benson Company, all of which sold relatively well. It was kind of in the same genre of uh, the people that came in to buy U2 or Bruce Coburn. Smiling from the front page of this morning's paper Looking sharp as alibis for your latest caper A look in your eyes I never thought I'd see The captain said you'd been arrested in connection with that small town spree Said you broke down on your way out to New York City Snow was on the ground, the moonlight must have looked so pretty Been in your car, not far from the last bar you'd see Where you lied to the people inside and tried to hide after your small town spree It all started at Gates Liquor Store. You helped yourself to a bottle of scotch. Strode down to Miller's Drugs, forced a check and borrowed a watch. The bills were ringing at St. Peter's and Paul's when you stole the collection. And at 916, that is a self titled album by Peter Case. Number 915. Some Christian artists turn into Bible teachers. Michael Card is a Bible teacher who's also a Christian artist. The seers and the prophets had foretold it long ago That the long-awaited one would make man stumble But they were looking for a king to conquer and to kill Never thought he'd be so meek and humble He will be the truth and will offend them one and all A stone that makes men stumble and a rock that makes them fall And many will be broken so that he can make them whole And many will be crushed and lose their own Scandalon is my favorite album from Michael Card. It is consistently his probably most commercial album and has some of his most intense lyrical content. Was a man 
An interesting side note, Michael Card is also the author of the song El Shaddai that Amy Grant made famous. The song ended up in Billboard's number 326 song of the entire century. Now think about it. That's not the number 326 Christian song of the century. It's the number 326 song of the century of all of music. That is impressive. And that is Michael Card and number 915 with the album Scandal On. Number 914. Born in the era of bread, seals and crofts, and England Dan and John Ford Coley comes Albrecht Rolly and Moore. Just can't seem to get myself engaged in conversation before I should be spinning into tune and weave a melody. Try to spend the rest of my day tethered to pages of angel ways. To borrow and then some Oh, it's a struggle And then some follow through Lay the course Set the sail Formed by Mike Albrecht And Scott Rowley Rowley would go on to continue a career That has lasted until today The style was right in tune with what was happening In the music industry On AM Pop Radio I met my love in Birmingham on a cold November day With tears and eyes I realized Oh Lord, I'm home to stay And my life was filled with sunlight As the doubt was all blown away And he dried my tears two thousand years Before he heard me say Day that you begin 
Albrecht, Rolly, and Moore became immediate Christian radio hit makers, consistently having number one singles, including the title track, Gently Flowing Feeling. Can't help myself believing I look at you and see the sun And there's a sweet, sweet morning arising See it as it opens up the day Delighting in the promise of a better tomorrow and at 9.14, that is Albrecht, Rolly and Moore, and Gently Flowing Feeling. Number 913. The first time I'd ever been scared listening to an album, it was the band Trouble. The first time I was ever scared in concert was seeing Saint for the first time. Born out of true heavy metal, and when I talk about heavy metal, I am dealing with bands like Judas Priest, Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, and uh, Iron Maiden. Those are the bands that I think of when I think of heavy metal, and Saint is right in that wheelhouse. Making music for nearly 40 years, the band continues to rock. And when we come back from our break, we'll be talking to the leader of that band, Richard Lynch, right here on Legacy.
Here at Legacy, we want to make it easy for you to find us. There are several different ways that you can talk to us and let us know what you think about what is going on here at the podcast and also on the blog. You can always go to our website at LegacyCCMsGreatestAlbums.com. That's LegacyCCMsGreatestAlbums.com or by email at LegacyCCMsGreatestAlbums at gmail.com. You can always find us on the Facebook and interact with us there at facebook.com slash Legacy CCM's Greatest Albums, at Instagram at Legacy CCM's Greatest Albums, and finally on Twitter at Legacy CCM's Best. Welcome back to Legacy. I'm your host, David Lohman, and I am now super excited to be joined by Richard Lynch of Saint, a founding member of the band. And I was joking with him earlier, the sole survivor, uh, the band over the years. In fact, you know, when you have a band that's been around for 40 years, um, you're probably going to have some changes in the lineup and and same uh, hold true for Saint. But the music seems to uh, have not changed all that much. It is still one of the heaviest bands in the history of Christian music. Um, it is what I consider metal. When I think of metal, I think of Judas Priest. I think of uh, bands like um, Black Sabbath. I think of bands um, uh, along that sort of style, uh, Iron Maiden. Those are the bands that when I say the word heavy metal, that's what um, I I'm thinking of. So when it comes to Christian music, one of the truly most consistent heavy, heavy metal bands is the band Saint. And, and now we're being joined by uh, Richard Lynch of Saint. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Great. You are not that far from me. I'm up in Vancouver, Washington, and, and you are in Oregon. So we are just a river away uh, from each other. And you have been able to survive as a Christian in the Pacific Northwest. Um, so I have to actually give you congratulations for doing that. I've been, uh, here for about 15 years and I have, I've definitely learned the struggle of the Pacific Northwest and, um, uh, a, a Christian faith and you've been doing it as, um, as a musician. Um, and, uh, in fact, I think the term metal missionary is, was coined by you guys and that it's, it's really been a focus for what you have done with Saint from the very beginning. So let's talk a little bit about that history. Give us a little picture of the history going back to the very first album, The Warriors of the Sun Project, that you actually did yourself. Well, The Warriors of the Sun album you know, came out, it came about via the Gentiles. Uh, we had a little demo and a lot of The Warriors of the Sun or the Gentiles stuff kind of pushed us you know, the Gentiles pushed us into that. But John Mahan at the time, you know, he left the area and the Gentiles dissolved. Um, and so that left us with myself and the drummer at that time, Gene McClendon. And we formed the band Saint and went ahead and recorded some of the, some of the, the songs that we did as the Gentiles and wrote more songs you know, to, to complete the, the six-song EP. And and when you were creating this, did, was there an, um, an understanding of just how heavy you were uh, musically in comparison to the rest of the music that was uh, was in available in the Christian market? Well, we did it uh, deliberately, and we dressed in black leather and studs deliberately because nobody else was doing it, and we felt the need to fill that void. That was that was the whole purpose of it. 
yeah, and and the the music actually, I guess I don't know about the the sales numbers, but I don't. Maybe not so much sales, but in terms of recognition and discussion, you guys were really talked about quite a bit. I remember in the in the mid eighties, um, working at a Christian bookstore. I was at Maranatha Village at the time, and everyone was talking about this band from the Northwest that was the heaviest band in Christian music history at the time. Um, uh, how how does that come to be, and, and how do you get your album out to people at that time? Well, what we did was. Uh we recorded the Words of the Sun album ourselves on our own label, Rotten Records. And then I was lucky enough to uh, be introduced to uh, 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 one of the guys, I believe his name was Mike Delaney. He's, he's, uh, he worked at Spring Arbor Distribution. And Spring Arbor was like the, you know, the, the nation's largest music distributor. And he loved us. And so he was, you know, I he was buying up a lot of product and that's how we got our, our national distribution process started. Well, I only made 1000 of the, uh, the rotten records version of words of the sun on, on vinyl and likewise in cassette. So that's all there is out there that circulates is a thousand pieces of each. Well, towards, you know, about halfway through, um, yeah, our our stock. We were approached by by Murata Records, and they wanted to do. You know, they wanted us to discontinue the sales, and they wanted to take it over and put out a new album cover and 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 all that. And so we went ahead and we went with those guys. I didn't know it at the time, but uh, one of the uh, the executives there who later on went to work at uh, uh, Refuge Music Group told me that the only reason why they picked us up was because there was some kind of government grant and they would like get $100,000 if they put out a vinyl album. <laughs> <laughs> so they were unhappy that the album sold so much more because they didn't want to keep producing it and shipping it out. They just wanted that money and run. Right. Mm. But because, uh, you know, for them to not, you know, fall under government scrutiny, they had to keep on going. So it was interesting. Yeah. And so um, you got the uh, um, attention, I guess you'd say, of Refuge and Pure Metal, uh, which which leads us to the album that we're going to be spending our time discussing with uh, Time's End. So you end up signing with Pure Metal, which I think was a, uh, was a, like a subsidiary of, of what was going on with Refuge. Refuge was a, a label that had a couple subsidiaries. Most of their stuff was a lot of stuff coming over from Europe. Some of the rock bands, bands like White Cross or whatever, and then P uh, Pure Metal comes along and introduces the metal scene to the Christian market, along with, I think, Bloodgood over and over on Frontline, uh, one of kind of the first ones to really break through. Um, but your album comes out, and it makes a pretty significant impact from the album cover to the production quality. How does that all come together for you? Well, you know, when we did Warriors of the Sun, we were on a total shoestring budget. When we signed with Refuge Music Group, that wasn't that big of a budget for sure. I think we got like $12,000 to make that album, and we easily used that up. Um, but bringing, you know, going into a, a, 
a 16 track, you know, studio instead of an eight track studio with, you know, BMI equipment, high end engineers and all that. It definitely made a big difference. And as somebody once said, Josh learned how to sing on this album. (laughs) So yeah, it's, uh, it definitely catapulted us, you know, forward. It's still today a lot of people's favorite album. Yeah, it 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 has remained one of my mainstays in terms of listening to to Christian metal. Um, um, that album um, really had quite a bit of an impact, and and I was actually kind of going to go towards the question of not necessarily budget, but across the board, your albums have been sonically really good especially in comparison to many of the albums being released in the christian market at the same time uh using the same style the uh, production budget was um i don't know if it was just lacking in the other companies but you guys were able to take a relatively small budget and make it sound much bigger than it does how do, how does a band do that well a band does that by hiring david lore to do the production David Lohr worked with Elton John and Quarter Flash and a lot of the other, you know, larger artists at, at the time. And, uh, you know, you get somebody that knows what they're doing and that's what you end up with is a great production. Yeah, because it really, it sounds amazing. Um, but it also was very visually stimulated. And I'm going to take a wild guess. Now, I was in Southern California at the time. I was working at two different Christian bookstores, uh, both of which were very progressive in terms of what we carried. Um, we not only carried the, the rock stuff and the hip-hop stuff and the rap stuff, but even borderline stuff like the U2s of the world and, and um, The Call and bands like that. So we didn't really deal much with controversy. But when I went into sales for both Benson Company and, and for Frontline Records, um, I started to see that some Christian bookstores weren't as equally as excited about uh, certain things, and one of them is the album covers. Uh, th- this album cover is very intense, um, and not just intense for 2022. It's very intense for 1984, 1985, 1986, when this music starts coming out. Um, did you ever hear, or was there any discussion about um, how the album cover also may have have, have kind of both had both a positive where a kid like me goes, oh my gosh, that's super cool. And then a, um, a, the 52-year-old grandmother bookstore owner goes, oh, I don't know if I can put that up on my shelf. So, <laughs> so you kind of had to walk a pretty a pretty difficult line. I mean, it's a pretty aggressive looking cover. Yeah, it is. Uh, Jeff Spencer painted that actually, uh, as he did Too Late for Living. You know, honestly, I didn't have a lot to do with the album artwork that was a, a total you know pure metal choice on that and i didn't choose the uh, the cover art and i didn't choose it because i thought it was scary or whatever but they chose it probably for the shock factor and the gavin Morkel, he was one of the execs there he's the one that kind of dubbed us as apocalyptic metal well, and you do have some of those themes, obviously, and we'll probably get to that in a minute. But those, that theme runs throughout almost all of your albums. Um, Every one of them. Yeah. yeah somebody, uh, once, somebody once said on a Facebook post, a band that has apocalyptic themes, and somebody said, uh, the whole St. Catalog. 
<laughs> yeah, so I mean, so you get the in, in Revelation the seven headed beast with ten horns, and you can kind of look at the album cover and go, oh, maybe that's kind of playing off of that sort of theme. Um, and actually, you got, it was actually it was to the T the diadems. Oh, okay. You know, how, yes, where the horns are going up. Yep. The the amount of diadems that are on it, everything was taken, and and what Jeff did was is he did the best he could as far as the description out of you know the revelation. Yeah, and it looks like there's some sort of like a an asteroid or star falling from the sky back and behind the the A and the S. Um, right. And so there's there's obviously a lot of these sort of themes that, that show up in, in the music across the board. But musically, you get a lot of comparisons to Judas Priest, which I think is both fair and uh, if I was a band, I would take it as a compliment since they're probably one of the greatest bands uh, in the history of heavy metal. Um, but were there certain influences, certain bands that you, you really were, uh, that you admired, that you liked their style, that the guitar riffs and stuff like that may have, have had an influence? Well, uh, honestly, Judas Priest was a, probably the hugest influence that we had at the time. Um, John Mahan and I used to ride, ride around and, <laughs> and just kind of joke, we're going to Judasize this song, and we're going to do that, or whatever, you know? And it was like, yeah, they were, they were a, a, truly a huge influence, and it's obvious in, in what we did, and the writing, and even the, the, the melodies, and the way that the uh, the vocals are structured, yeah, and and I find that interesting because I, I don't I haven't sat down to count, but you've gone over. There's been a, a few vocalists over the years, and yet all of them kind of sounding it's it's really weird, and I think this is hard to do. They sound different, but at the same time, they kind of have a similarity in terms of how they um, project the, the the sound of the the lyrical content. Um, throughout the entire album. I think the only other band reminds me of that is, is the band Trouble. Trouble has gone through several different lead vocalists, and yet the, the style still stays within that same genre. And when you think about it, what's the one common denominator? The writer. Yeah. And the guy who, who wrote the melodies. And, <laughs> so, and, and it's probably the same way with Trouble. So, because I wrote all of the songs, or like 90% of them, right? And I wrote all of the lyrics up until basically the cap when Dave Nelson, you know, stepped in. I think Josh wrote like three songs in, in, in the whole time that he was with us. Uh, so what I used to do with Josh, and the same thing I did with everybody else, is I would coach them as to to get the, the song to sound the way that I wrote it and the melodies. And if he's going to be staccato, you know, real choppy in one spot or legato and singy in another spot, you know, I always made sure that, that because those, those are what represent the message that I'm trying to present when I write a song. And because I'm not a, you know, a, a, a killer screaming vocalist like these guys, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, I had to rely on basically teaching them how I thought that it should sound. Okay. And I guess that, that, that kind of makes sense. And, and it is interesting because when I listen to the albums and I, uh, you know, back and forth between, uh, those that were in the eighties, those are in the two thousands. Um, you can tell the voice is different, but the style is kind of the same, which I guess kind of leads me to the question. And before we go back to the Times End album, um, 
there was about a 10-year break. Was it was there a feeling that that Saint was just done and then all of a sudden sometime in the late 90s or the early 2000s you decide to kick it back into gear and and do music or what was going on in that time between pretty much too late for living and and kind of the EP and some live stuff that came out in the early 2000s? Uh, a lot of turmoil. <laughs> uh, we, we we did uh, the the his festival down in Southern California, and and that's the second time that I saw you because <laughs> I definitely saw you there. And on the way back, basically things turned into a pretty good fiasco. You know, I mean, you're dealing with lots of five guys and five egos, and we all have them, um, you know. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it went south pretty fast after that, which is amazing because here we have, like, too late for livings out. We're ready to just take the world by storm, and kaplunk, you know, the axe falls, you know, and... and as I think back on it, you know, I don't want to get into the, all the details, but rightly so, it should have. And then shortly after that, and I ended up going through a divorce. And at that point in time, it was, you know, it was time to regroup and, and, and get my thoughts back together. And then after I remarried, then we decided to put out uh, uh, that uh, black compilation that was because of Mike Delaney. He wanted us to put that out from uh, that. This now he moved from Spring Arbor to Rad Rockers. Yes. Okay. And uh, so he wanted us to put that out. So we did. And then all of a sudden, well, hey, we have enough money to be able to go ahead and start uh, thinking about putting out, you know, more productions. And so D. Harrington and I got together, and we we put together the perfect flop. And I mean, life. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, believe it or not, that actually sold pretty good for as awful as it is. And then uh, that kind of came to a stop. And then Josh ended up back in the picture about 2003, 2004. We put out In the Battle. And I went right back to our roots. Yeah. And, and in fact, I, I really think that. Um, when it when it came to to the band, I think there was a, a zenith, and it's an album that hopefully you'll come back on and we'll talk about in more detail. Um, but around what 2010 or so, you put out Hellblade, and I think that to a lot of people that was kind of a, a coming out for like uh, a lot of the Christian metal kids that had um, gone all into just the grindcore and all this other stuff. And it's like, oh, this is like real metal. Um, and, and was kind of a powerful, um, album was, is there, was there a feeling even in the creation of Hellblade that this was something kind of special? You know, not really. I know that it was uh, heavier than, than say crime scene earth, you know, and crime scene earth was, you know, had its issues as well as I did the, all the vocals on it pretty much, except for three songs, the first you know, the, the original and the 2.0 came out and then we finally got Josh back up to do the vocals on it after he had left in the middle of that project. So, um, yeah, uh, a lot of people compare that, that album Hellblade to, uh, two times end as mm -hmm. far as its significance. Yeah. It really kind of jumps up. I think even heaven's metal listed it among the, you know, the best 100 metal albums of all time. 
uh, in right. Christian music, and it's definitely going to show up much later in the in, in in the countdown. But getting back to Times End, uh, what was the feeling from the band? You have um, you're now on a label that's got some pretty decent distribution, uh, some recognition, a great cover, killer songs. Um, was there a feeling that okay, this is it? This is our chance. We're now going to to break it. Were you getting on um, any tours at the time that were worth discussing? Well, we were. You know, we were offered some playtime. We did a little short run with Bloodgood. Um, played with Striper. Did quite. A, I don't know five, five or six or seven shows with Res Band. So we were playing out you know, in the Pacific Northwest and on the West Coast. Didn't really go very far, you know, past that. Um, but every album, it seemed like, well, this is the one that's going to take us over the top and we're going to, you know, be able to go out and, you know, tell the world about Jesus. But, you know, that just wasn't in the plan. But there still, still seemed to be some some growth and I noticed that I was in retail at the time that um, it seemed like each consecutive album in those first three just sold a little bit better than the previous. There seemed to be some growth. There seemed to be uh, discussion. Again, I was on the West coast. So I, you know, there may have been a little bit of a West coast bias in a relationship with the band that had formed um, from touring uh, so much f- for over the years. But I guess I want to to kind of shift a little bit and 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 talk about the metal missionary idea, this concept of of taking the gospel in the music to um, you guys were taking it to places that nobody had ever touched, maybe Bloodgood, maybe Striper, but really nobody had reached um, that authentic metal buyer in that metal genre or in those clubs were you ending up in any of those sort of places as well in an attempt to to reach the lost uh we you know we we never played any clubs ever we only played you know shows you know that well i take it back we may have played a club or two with blood good and by the way they're the ones I think that had the metal missionary mantra. Yeah, that was um, that was even I think their demo tape was called. But I always remembered kind of this this concept of there was a handful of bands whose sole purpose was to to reach the loss. It was really right. the primary focus, and I always kind of saw that as as Saints' uh, primary focus, especially in those early albums. It was like you know we are going to go out and we're going to talk about Jesus, right. So, so at, at that point, um, were the opportunities there? Did you do primarily the speaking from stage? How did that sort of? How, how do you make a decision as a band as to how you're going to uh, uh, proclaim the gospel from a stage? Well, to, to be honest with you, we never really did like a res band style. You know, have have a fifteen twenty minute, you know, talk. Well, Glenn also, you know, he was actually really a preacher who happened to write really good right. riffs. <laughs> right. We may, you know, what you saw at the His Festival is basically what you got. Okay. Which was just a great yep. rock and show. <laughs> One song yeah, to the and next. That's, yeah, and that's what I've told promoters throughout the time. You know, we are basically here to entertain our colleagues and our friends. And, you know, I'm usually one of the first people out once we're done to go talk to people. I like to talk to people. If they have questions, they need me to pray for them. I'm there. 
Oh, okay. So, I, I, which is something I've always appreciated uh, from from a band. Did you feel? I, I obviously, it's it's it, your your content has always had kind of an eschatological, apocalyptic uh, sort of uh, bent. Do you think that those sort of songs were important in terms of of reaching out to to those who were lost and maybe confused about what was going on in the world around them? Well, you know, it was just it was like more of a fascination for me. You know, uh, the the whole eschatology, the apocalypse the end times, all of that stuff has always been something that, that, that for some reason I've been drawn to. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things I've been drawn to. I've studied, you know, extensively about other cults just because it just interests me to see how they came to that conclusion. Right. So, and this is not like that, but this is just one of those things that I was fascinated by. And, and I just, I like to write about it. Plus, we came out of an era where, you know, you had Iron Maiden and, and, and bands of the like singing, you know, about the 666, the Mark of the Beast, all that kind of stuff. So it was kind of fashionable at that time. Uh, later on, by the time I got to uh, getting, you know, to uh, uh, the Mark, that's when I kind of kind of got on fire for, hey, everybody, this this is going to start happening for he's doing, and I probably better let you know. Hmm. Yeah, and I find it interesting. In fact, you kind of you, you stole my next question a little bit. In that, if those of us who are kind of raised in the eighties um, and eighties metal, the whole eschatology end times sort of thing was was really popular within the the mainstream side of metal. So it seemed like it was kind of a perfect fit. To almost say, well, you've heard, you know, Iron Maiden or whoever talk about this stuff, but what actually, what does the Bible say about about these things? And so right. that imagery, which also leads to, by the way, really cool album covers. Um, I think when you uh, you you have that sort of imagery within the music, it makes the album covers easier. Um, so just to finish up, I wanted to talk a little bit about the new album, give you a chance to to also let people know how's best to reach out to you, to the band, uh, find your music, all those sort of things. But tell us a little bit about Heaven Fell. Well, Heaven Fell, so that, that turned out, it was like, a, it surprised me how well it turned out. Uh, but for the last probably five albums now, since Jared Nolan's been involved, uh, these albums, they, they just turn out, the productions are just amazing. So that helps a lot with it, uh, with what, what you're hearing. We've added, you know, some, some member changes. And what that means is we also have different, right now I have four writers. So it's like so many songs are coming at me all the time. And so this, you know, the Heaven Fell, we had myself, Matt Smith wrote the bulk of it. I did most of the arrangements. And then David uh, Nelson wrote all the lyrics on there. Um, And so basically it looks like those guys are better writers than I am now. And so, uh, is is there a theme that that runs throughout the new album? Which, by the way, the cover is is killer. But uh, you were talking about a little bit about the production. And I'll kind of throw that in there as well. It sounds sonically like you guys spent six figures on this thing because it just sounds really impressive. But lyrically, is there kind of a theme that that runs throughout? 
Well, Dave told me that, you know, how it goes in the beginning on Holier Than Thou, and that it ends on Heaven Fell, now and till forever, right? So right. it starts with the beginning, and then it takes you through a series, I guess, is how he explained it to me, of ups and downs and Christendom and, you know, everything from bad teaching to... um uh, you know, life experiences, that kind of stuff. So if, if there was going to be a theme, that would probably be it. Just the, uh, the, the, the length or the timeline of, of our existence kind of put into a small capsulation. He tends to write a little more metaphorically than I do. I, he, he says that I spoon feed everybody and he doesn't like to spoon feed people. He wants them to think, he wants them to think about it. And I'm just going to tell you right out the gate, you know, what's what. Yeah. And, and the album itself has only been out. It's less than a month now. I think it's, it's, um, uh, brand new. I think, I think it came out in September. September. Okay, so it's been a couple months. I know I got my copy uh, just the other day, and I saw that uh, there was uh, some CDs that were made available around sometime in November. Um, it it's again, it's Saint. It's the album, the newest album is Heaven Fell. The one we've been talking about, though, is Times End. And I want to also um, finish with this. Is there a way that people can either like reach out uh, Facebook? Is there a Saint uh, a Saint Twitter or or any other sort of social media that people can reach out? And what's the best way to get a hold, most importantly, of Saint's music? Oh, well, you can go to saintsite.com and we have uh, what we have available there in stock uh there's a it's called the saint store there's some other stuff other links on there that take you to just specific vinyl and shirts and that kind of stuff uh you can also reach it at saint band on facebook um and then of course there's the obvious boons and rocks and girder music you know outlets that you can pick pick saint product up at all right, so that is saintsite.com? Yes. All right, so saintsite.com, go ahead and get the music. And, of course, you can always go to Girder and to Boone's Overstock. Those are places that I know a lot of my listeners are very familiar with. It's where I get a lot of my vinyl um, and music and downloads. You can do that as well. Um, Richard, thank you so much. I do hope that when we get to discuss Hellblade, you will join us uh, again to, to discuss primarily that, just that album. Um, as well, I appreciate all of your time today uh, that you're willing to, to do that, take a little time out of work to, to, to let us know exactly what was going on then and what is going on now with Sane. So we've been talking to Richard Lynch of Saint and uh, Legacy will be right back right after this. Here at Legacy, we want to make it easy for you to find us. There are several different ways that you can talk to us and let us know what you think about what is going on here at the podcast and also on the blog. You can always go to our website at LegacyCCMsGreatestAlbums.com. That's LegacyCCMsGreatestAlbums.com or by email at LegacyCCMsGreatestAlbums at gmail.com. You can always find us on the Facebook and interact with us there at facebook.com slash legacy CCM's greatest albums at Instagram at legacy CCM's greatest albums and finally on Twitter at legacy CCM's best.
Thank you once again for joining me on this episode of Legacy, a return to the countdown of Legacy, CCM's greatest albums. A very special thank you to my guest, Richard Lynch, a founding member of the group Saint. Join me again next time as we continue the countdown right here on Legacy. But in the meantime, go to the Facebook page, talk about what you think about these albums, the countdown. And if you have a minute, please go ahead and rate and review the countdown so that we can move up the charts and let people know more about the best Christian music in history right here on Legacy. See you.